Riverside. Good morning, evening, good day, Mr. White. How are good. you? Good morning, good day, good evening, Mrs. Angel. I am very, very well. How are you? I'm great. Anybody who's That's joining us on, on YouTube can obviously see that we were having a few technical difficulties um, with our guest this evening, but you can see that she is definitely here with us and we're going to introduce her very soon because she's our inspiring story for today. So what are we doing here, Mr. White? Well, we're here to celebrate teachers and what we do. We change lives. That's what we do. We need to, uh, to make sure that the everyone knows that. Absolutely. And there are many of us around the world. Do you remember we need how to many? support each other. Uh, I do remember how many. It's either 80 million or 800 million. I think it's 80 million. Mm, quite evidently, Mr. White is a an English teacher, not a math teacher, because that is a big difference in a number. There is... A, there is 80 million teachers in yeah, uh, in the world, and possibly 800 million. And there's, well, we're, we're all teachers at some level, aren't we? Yeah, 300,000 teachers in Australia. We're connecting with so many teachers in Australia and more and more people around the world, which is very, mm. very exciting. Uh, right. Lots of countries are joining in each week, and uh, it's wonderful to have you here. So uh, we want to say a big thank you to Video Pro. They have provided us with our audiovisual equipment, and now that Mr. White knows how to use it and has reduced, uh, <laughs> thrown away his muffler, we can all hear everyone much better. Yeah. Better no this evening. Required. No, no muffler required, but also not just the audio, but also the lighting and, and everything that goes with it. It's great. Thank you very much, Video Pro. Absolutely. Unfortunately, we uh, haven't been able to help out our guest tonight with her video, with her video, with her camera. Um, but that's certainly not Video Pro's problem. That's probably yes. our problem. That's uh, problem. Absolutely. Thank you very much to uh, Luke Angel as well, who's doing great work um, producing this <laughs> podcast. And he is the hardest working person on this podcast, trying to get us to work a little bit more efficiently. All right, we're going to get straight into our uh, meeting, our inspiring us a guest for our story right. this evening. So let's have a, a bit of a uh, transition into uh, that inspiring story. I do like that sting. I do like it. Wonderful. All right. So I want to introduce our special guest this evening, Tony Hatton-Roberts. She is part of alumni at Charles Sturt University. She's part of the Golden Key Honour Society and she is a Commonwealth Bank Teaching Fellow for 2022. She went to Umundi State School. Uh, in at When she went to primary school there, she didn't have a uniform and she wore her first pair of shoes in year seven. So pretty cool school. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing a bit more about that. And then she went to Kippering State School um, for the rest of her primary school. She went to Noosa District State High, beautiful part of the world, as well as Palm Beach Currumbin State High and also St. Peter's Lutheran College, where she went to boarding school. And she has, uh, as lots of our inspiring guests, she's, she's done a bit of time at university. She has been to Central Queensland University. She has been to Charles Sturt University. And she's also uh, done some time at uh, UQ doing her PhD. But, but I'm sure there's a story there that we're <laughs> going to get to this evening because she is one of the busiest people that I know. Tell us a bit about her, her biography, please, Whitey. 
Uh, Tony is widely regarded as a highly accomplished teacher within Australia. She is a recent recipient of the Schools Plus Teaching Fellow of 2022 Australian Teacher of the Year Award winners. She has a wide and diverse experience in education, having served as a teacher in early childhood, primary school and secondary school, a regional advisor for mathematics, science, outdoor education and gifted education, a head of curriculum, a deputy principal, a principal and a director of education. Tony is currently the director of the lead director and lead consultant for Coglearn and the executive director of education and co-founder of Mastery Schools Australia. Tony has a Bachelor of Education and Bachelor of Social Science in Psychology with Honours. Her original research into the importance of verbal rehearsal and managing cognitive load in learning was recognised through her participation in the International Conference of Learning Sciences in London in 2018. She is currently a PhD candidate at the University of Queensland, addressing how politics and pedagogy influences the teaching of mathematics. Welcome, Tony. What a bio. Yay! And there she is. Wow! <laughs> Goodness me. Welcome. Thank Raucous you. applause. Uh, so this is what Tony looks like. Yes. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Sorry my camera's not working. Awkward. I'm... I'm Look, I I'm guess... not going to hold this. Um, I'm not going to hold this up <laughs> for the whole time. Uh, it's so good to have you with us, Tony. And I, I honestly um, mean that Tony is one of the busiest people that I know. Uh, and this week we are leading into obviously International Women's Day week in Queensland and in Australia. And I wanted to have one of the people that I'm most inspired by coming onto the show this week. So we've got a lot to talk uh, to Tony about. So let's kick it off, Tony. We always ask our very first question because we're all about um, all about teaching. And so who is a teacher who has positively impacted on your life? All right. Look, thank you so much for having me. And um, you inspire me as much as I do you, Sharon. So right back at you on that one. Um, look, Stop it. I, I did have these <laughs> questions sent to me earlier and thank you so much for the heads up. And I'm going to probably say a couple of teachers, not just one. Um, my experience in, in primary school, um, whilst it doesn't seem positive, I will talk about how it's become a positive. So in years one to three at Yamundi State School, I had the same teacher and her name was Mrs. McTaggart. I'm sure she's actually passed away now. She was quite old when I had her. And, we, and you know, I, I, I'm embarrassed to say, but her nickname was Mrs. Maggot. And rest, rest in, rest in yes, peace, Miss McTaggart. Yes, but it was Mrs. Maggot for us because <laughs> she would, she would on occasion. <laughs> no, it, it wasn't me who named her that. That was just the nickname that came. But she did on occasion come up behind you very secretly and quietly, and and she was very matronly. And she probably, if you can picture in your head a a, a flow Bielke Peterson, you know that sort of matronly you know, quite stocky woman, and she'd, she'd pop up behind you and if you weren't doing the right thing, she would just grab you by the shoulders and give you a bit of a shake in your chair and um, and it would shock you and you would have to, like, um, go, oh, goodness, I, I really need to be doing something here. And, you know, I learnt really quickly that I needed to have eyes in the back of my head, so I was waiting for her to come and stalk behind me, which in turn became a really good skill as a teacher because you need to have eyes in the back of the head. If you're, if you're teaching a group of students, you certainly need to know what what's going on. Um, my second teacher, and again, at, at Yamundi State School, um, and Yamundi, um, I think, in the 70s is when I did go to primary school. This teacher, and 
and I'm not going to name her probably because I don't exactly remember her name. So I, I think I had her name, but I may have got it wrong and I don't want to embarrass anybody. Um, she occasionally would have a lit cigarette on her desk in an ashtray that would just be <laughs> wafting with smoke. And, and I'm sure even in the early 70s, this is probably banned already, but I think Yamundi was a little bit lost in time. Um, and, and that would actually smoke up. And the only time it would really impact me, I'd have to walk up with my um, writing sample and she would give me advice about my writing. But this cigarette smoke would just be wafting and wafting, wafting. I don't actually recall her sucking on the cigarette, if, 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 if I can say that, but I did. It was just this endless cigarette in the ashtray. Um, and she would cough a lot. So, you know, my takeaway, <laughs> probably don't smoke. And I don't smoke, so all good. <laughs> Um, <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first, kids. There you go. That's not a good thing for any uh, pr- prospective teachers None out there. No, that's allowed. No Don't shaking light your cigarette of children in your classroom. And no smoking no. at your Perfect. desk. Like, both those things Excellent. are gone. Um, my last Excellent. teacher was an, an art teacher in high school. And um, she very inappropriately now invited me to her home, which was not far mm. from where I actually lived, um, to hang out with her and her younger brother, who happened to be 18 and had a heap of mates over. And um, she would invite me over to talk about some of the art that we were doing at high school. But she actually let me have the keys to the dark room of the high school to go in on the weekends and actually do some of my photography, and which was amazing because I'm sure she probably wasn't actually allowed to do that. Um, and she did let me produce because I had a, an absolute fascination with um, Toulouse-Lautrec. So Henry Toulouse-Lautrec. I was a big fan. He was all about pastels and I was all about pastels. And she let me actually do a nude pastel drawing, a copy um, of a a prostitute, a brothel prostitute from some of his earlier work to present as my final work. And she really encouraged me. And I have to say, like probably 30 years later, I went to Paris just to go and see Toulouse de Trek's work um, in the the major, you know, museum in in Paris. So she actually did inspire me. It's beautiful. Um, yeah, yeah. She, she probably wasn't supposed to invite me to a house. But anyway, um, those things are gone. No, probably not. So that's also, we've, we've heard here, don't shake the kids. But you can still, even if back then you did, you still had a, a really impressive impact on Tony. Don't smoke. I don't really know what, what, what we've learnt from that. Just don't smoke in class. But, and don't take the kids home, but do inspire them to um, pursue their passions and give them extracurricular opportunities, just not at your home. Mm. Yes. Excellent. And nothing and, ever and, untoward And then what happened, about in your teaching? Yeah. Look, no. I think the real person that probably inspired me as a teacher, a teacher who's had the biggest impact on me, is when I first started teaching. So it was my final prac. Um, I was at Gilston State School. So my final prac and my very first teaching experience, I actually got a position at the school I had done my prac in, and it was um, Mrs. Debbie Favreau, who's an amazing teacher. Um, She's retired now, um, but she's still very active on education sites, and she'll often comment every now and then on what I'm doing. But she was probably the first teacher who instilled in me, um, we were teaching um, balanced literacy at that time, and our head of curriculum used to clop up the the hallways in our high heels and I knew where she'd be coming and I'd sort of hide my phonics um, because Deb had told me no we've got to do phonics and so we do phonics explicit phonics but that wasn't what we were supposed to be doing we're supposed to be asking kids to guess and look at the picture and 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 do all that balanced literacy but Debbie was very adamant no that's not how we do teaching this is how we do it and I followed her lead and I had a whole bunch of kids have really high success and she was probably the first person who taught me you know sometimes you've got to go against the grain You've got to go against the grain based on 
the evidence and the evidence showed that all my kids were really learning and learning successfully um and there were some of our kids were actually writing across our two classes probably better than some of what you know I was teaching year one than some of the year two students were and it was because of the phonics that she was getting us to do the other thing was she was probably the first teacher that went you know what you are doing really well have faith in yourself do what you do and she probably gave me confidence because I'm not sure if it, this came up today I'm at a school at the moment coaching and I was at a school today and we were sort of reminiscing about when you had to do your interview to get a permanent job you know at the moment you do a teaching degree and you're guaranteed a job mm-hmm. you're not lining up but back in our day if you didn't you it wasn't always your, that way exactly no, you had a teaching degree and you were begging and hoping that you would get a job you didn't get permanency there was no way you got permanency but I can remember having my interview with my principal and I actually started crying in the middle of it because I'm thinking oh my god I've stuffed this I'm never going to get a job because I was mumbling in my answers so they did that whole um, interview criteria thing, which I don't even think they really do anymore. So she was really the first one. I went, you know what? I don't. I don't think they You've do. You've got this. No, I don't think they do that anymore. You have that final interview to say whether you're hmm. actual um, a tick to say yes, you're capable of teaching or no, you're not. Yep. I think that's really their final prac now. But after the final prac, you then also had to do a rating interview. Yeah, you had to do a rating. And they interview. would give you a rating of one to five to then. Yeah. Did you yeah. do you have anything like that in in Victoria, Whitey? Not like that. I mean, you do an interview, but um, it's with a member of the school that you're at, and it's not. I don't. I, you have to write a. Not, it's that many years since I did it, so I'm not entirely sure. And I did it in Queensland anyway, and then moved to Melbourne, having okay. got my accreditation. But um, <laughs> I do remember going through a process where, in my first year of teaching, you have to write up a whole list of things and it was pretty informal I was in the country so maybe Tony yeah, that's the the country style of, of, of teaching coming through there but uh, yeah I don't know I think um, I think it's a good thing that we're a bit more you know, open about being holistic in, in, in what we're teaching and being yourself a bit more than than fitting the you know the cookie cutter teacher. I, I like uh, in the Singapore system that they have to do a obviously in Singapore teaching is education is their export so is the only industry that they have really so they teaching is held in such high um, standing in Singapore and if you want to become a teacher you have to do a presentation to the board to become a teacher you do your degree and then you've actually you, you graduate from from high school and then if you want to become a teacher you have to be interviewed to be accepted into um, an education um, degree and you have to talk about what your philosophy is. You have to really pitch why teaching is going to be so important to you. Why you why you should be one of those really um, those special special people who are chosen to be able to get to go and be become a teacher. Which so you do that before you do. I believe the, so. Be, be, ah, yes, that's interesting. Yes. That's really yes. interesting. And it, but it's about philosophy. It's about why do you care about teaching? Why do you care about students? And yeah, I definitely anyway. remember writing my my teaching philosophy, yeah. uh, and that was a great great that was a great process because it really forced me to consider exactly what my teaching philosophy is. What do you and stand obviously, for? it's changed and and you know morphed over time, but it it offered me that starting point of that reflection. Yeah, and in mm. fact, so last um, last uh, podcast we talked Tony about um, these thirty ref- reflection questions. We've talked about trying to to spark those positive conversations about why teaching is such a great profession and 
one of the things that uh, Whitey and I shared from these 30 reflection questions that uh, was, if nothing else, what is one thing that you want your students to take from their time with you? So I'd be interested to hear your answer to that. Um, it could be either when you were a teacher in the classroom or nowadays you're working more so with with teachers, obviously, and building the capacity of teachers. So you can go from either lens. But, yeah, if nothing else, what is one thing you want your students or your teachers to take from their time with you? I guess if I'm going from my actual students, so student students, the one thing I want them to take away from me is my learning intent, what I actually wanted them to learn, the critical content. Walk away with the critical content. Otherwise, I haven't actually done anything. Yeah, Students will only attend, like learn what they've attended to and if they haven't learned it at the end of the lesson, then I didn't actually teach it. I might have thought I did, but I didn't. So that's yeah. my number one thing with yeah. kids. When it comes to teachers, working with teachers, I guess the critical thing I want them to take away, and there's a couple, but one, make sure your kids know that you like them. That big relational question. And mm. without going into well-being or anything like that, it's really do your kids know you like them because that would just go so far. So one, do they know they like you? And then that you're in their corner. So, yep, you're going to have high expectations of them. You want them to learn. You're not going to give them excuses or let them have excuses because you actually like them so much that you're not going to have an excuse. Yeah. Love that. Absolutely love that. Yeah, it's a, a lot of Rita, Rita Pearson's, um, you know, kids don't learn from people they don't like. And kids, it's not actually that complicated. Kids like you if they know that you like them. So if yeah, they're sure absolutely. about it, then then you're going to be their their favorite teacher because they know that you you think they're great and you have high expectations of them. Absolutely mm. love it. Yeah, and no matter how um, awesome. So you I want yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that's right. Yeah. So well, strict strictness um, shows that you care. I'm not that's... I'm not going to let you. I'm not going to lower my expectations for you. I know that you can do this. I'm going to hold you to that because I care about you. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly that's right. the key. Uh, all right, so I, I want you to obviously. I work at Mastery Schools Australia. I follow Tony to Mastery Schools Australia, and I have previously worked uh, with Tony, and she really, for me, uh, Tony is one of the most learned people that I know around science of learning, and has many years ago really built my capacity around understanding that, understanding the neuroscience behind how students learn best and uh, and kind of really championed me to follow that doggedly. So not let go of that, not let go of, um, so, so not be swayed by uh, other trends and just sticking with what the evidence in the neuroscience actually says about how learning, uh, how students learn best. So, Tony felt so strongly about that that she created a, a founded a school a system of schools. I mean, some people feel really strongly about that, so they do that in their classrooms. Tony took that just a little step fur further and invested everything that she had into creating a system of schools. So, talk us through that, please, Tony. Take us take us from the start to now, and and um, yeah, tell tell the story of Mastery Schools Australia. I, and number one, I can't take all the credit. I had this crazy husband who um, will just pop up and say, hey, let's open our own school. Yeah, of course. You know, that's easy. Um, but putting, <laughs> putting your heart and soul into something literally is what we did. 
because for some crazy reason we thought, yep, we got, we've got this plan. We know that we've got a whole system of kids which really popped out of COVID. Um, COVID hit, a whole heap of students had to go home and do homeschooling and, and home learning. And then a whole bunch of parents realised, hey, actually, my kids don't know what I thought they should know, given the, this grade or this year level in, in their schooling. And it was a bit of an eye-opener for parents. But I, what I consistently got was all these parents emailing me saying, oh, Tony, I need some help. I don't know. My kids are behind. I didn't realise they were so far behind. And it was probably the first insight that many parents saw that their kids were many years behind, um, if not at least a year. So, you know, my conversations with Michael, my, my husband, who is the other co-founder, was how can we meet this need of these kids who have been left behind or the gaps just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger? And he's, of course, just said, well, let's open a school. Now, stupidly, for some reason, we thought everyone else would want to do this and everyone else would support us and everyone else would go, yeah, that's an awesome idea and here's a whole lot of money to do that. Um, and we talked about it. How'd, how'd that work out for you? Yeah, not so good. <laughs> we, we, we presented, we went to um, philanthropy groups, we presented, we said, you know, this is the people we're trying to support. You know, it's our kids who hit year four and hit that slump. They hit that learning slump. You know, the kids are two, three, four years behind. They may have dyslexia. They may have a learning difficulty. Or, you know what, they might just have disinstruction, which is a made-up word, but it's really for kids who haven't had good instruction <laughs> in the early years. So we thought, yeah, everyone's going to want to do this. But unfortunately, no one did. So p- part of our problem initially was that we had no funding. So Michael and I actually funded it personally ourselves. And there had been moments <laughs> where I we, we were down to one car and there were a moment where I said, am I selling the car this week to pay wages? Because we you don't get funding from the government until you've been operating for more than nine months. So whilst we know that the funding model is there and that we're supported by the government, you must initially start this school on your own. And so there were some tricky times there, um, but we got through it and we got through it not just because of what Michael and I invested with our time and our money and our effort, but the people we brought on very early, our um, initial principals and teaching staff, some of them actually worked for us for free with the acknowledgement that they would be back paid once our funding came through, which I think is an absolute amazing um, feat for someone to do, to have so much passion and belief that we were doing the right work. Um, So, yeah, I mean, we couldn't have done it without that. So it wasn't just all us, I guess. Yeah, there was a a big investment from uh, a lot of people in time, effort and, and, uh, and energy and, and money as well. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us, tell us about, uh, tell us about what, um, what kind of underpins the school, how it, how, how it has grown and the success that it has had. Yeah. So we are an evidence-based science of learning school. And, and I, I worry sometimes when I talk about evidence-based, because I feel like it's a term that gets bandied around quite liberally now. And if you talk to any school, I guarantee you, they will tell you they are evidence-based. Um, because it's easily to give some evidence that may support or sway your pedagogy. Um, I'll digress for a moment because my firm belief is that it isn't about pedagogy or politics, which is sort of the topic of my PhD, if if that ever happens, and that's another story. But it's not about, (laughs) yeah, it's not about pedagogy and politics because if you actually look at the evidence, and I didn't really come across this evidence until I did my um, psychology degree, my honours degree, that it isn't about that. It's about how 
do people actually learn? And people, I mean everyone, not just students, not just, you know, it's adults. How do we actually learn? And when we use that, it's no longer about pedagogy. It's actually about, well, this is what the science tells us. So how can we leverage that information as teachers Mm -hmm. and adjust our classroom practice to make the most of our learning experiences given we have absolute limited time with our students in front of us? So how can we manage what we do, the way we deliver lessons, the way we make lessons, the way we engage, check for understanding? How do we do that based on science of learning rather than based on a pedagogy? And I think the dichotomy Mm. that's presented in media at the moment between inquiry versus explicit is really harming and and doesn't support one or the other. Yeah. 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 So the school that we have. It's not about it being one or the other. Yeah. No. So MSA isn't about a pedagogy even though people will think it is, it is about science of learning, that everything we train our teachers in, any program that we use, we wouldn't use it unless it has a science of learning um, background, that it, it fits with the science of learning, that it must meet um, a, a certain criteria before we would even use it. So I won't even look at a program unless it's got evidence-based. And that's the same for even, like, I mean, well-being programs are definitely something that's really being pushed in schools at the moment. But people will come to me and say, hey, can we do this wellbeing program? I go, yes, absolutely. Where's the evidence? Show me the evidence that it has efficacy. Mm -hmm. Because if it doesn't have efficacy, I actually, I'm not interested. I don't want to just do something that everyone else is doing. I want to do something that's got proven efficacy. Excellent. And so what does that actually look like at a school level? So for a student who would go to mastery school, so there's, There's uh, two campuses on the Gold Coast now, one in Springfield. So what does that look like for a student day-to-day? What would be the student experience? So I think a little bit of background on who our students are. So they are students who are at risk of disengagement, already disengaged from mainstream school. That's the criteria. Not anyone can come to our school. If they're annoyed with the school down the road, if they're a bit pissed off, they can't just knock on our door and say, hey, can I come to your school? It doesn't work like that. So our students have to be actually have that um, pre- disposed or or, or someone's referred them to us so we only take students from year four to year 10 it's extremely difficult to say that a student before year four is at risk of disengagement like it's very hard to do that at a younger age but at year four there is a lot of evidence and research that say that our students can hit a slump a slump in learning a slump in reading if they've not been taught well Um, so many of our students come to us with dyslexia or dysgraphia or dyscalculia they may have ASD, ADHD, which makes learning in a mainstream school environment more difficult. Lots of our students, however, don't have any diagnosis. They've just had, like I said before, disinstructure. They've been unable to learn in the environment. Um, teachers, because of the way curriculum's organised in most Australian schools at the moment, it's very block taught. So if a student misses that block and they don't have mastery, the teacher moves on and they're left behind. That gap increases year after year so by the time they get to year four year five year six and for us we have year nine students turning up and they've got massive deficits in their learning so for us to plug that gap we've got to do more so the the mainstream are are constrained because they can only do learning support kids are often labeled as learning support and they never leave learning support and learning support of two hours you know pulling out for two sessions a week at half an hour is not going to fill a five-year gap so if you've got a year nine student, which we've had many, and Sharon, we've got some at you know your school at the moment that you're a principal, but they're in year nine, but they're reading at year one level. Unfortunately, two years 
you mm. know, two, two half hour sessions a week of learning sports, not going to fill that student's gap. So at our school, our students must do two hours of English, two hours of math, regardless of what year level they're in every single day. And then to fit in the rest of the Australian curriculum, which we are mandated to teach because we, like any other school, come under accreditation, our day has to be longer. So our students are actually at school longer. And for a whole bunch of disengaged kids, people say, oh, my goodness, how do they do that? But it's based on efficacy and that from the very first lesson that they have with us, whether it's in English or in maths, they have success. From day one, first lesson, have success. So what does that mean? Students get efficacy. They Because if you do something, you go surfing, go down the beach and go surfing, your very first lesson, if you smash your head on the, on the board on the wave every single time, you're not going back day two. But if you actually just got up a little bit and had a bit of a wobble, you go, hey, I'm going to have another go tomorrow. And so that's what we work on, this mm. instant efficacy and instant success. Our mantra, Sharon may have said before, but success is the fun we offer. Yeah, that's what every that's what we're offering our students. We're not going to dumb it down for them. We're not going to do. We're going to pitch where they're at, definitely, but we're going to have high expectation that with with support and with the right teaching, they have immediate success. Mm. I love that notion of that immediate feedback of progress. Um, that is so important. That is so important. And and sometimes the delay in getting the feedback back to students. Uh, with the progress that they've made is is causes them to get lost. It's disheartening, mm-hmm. absolutely, because it means mm-hmm. they've got to put in more effort, more effort without seeing a result. Yeah, you got to see the result to to motivate you to keep going and to see that it's actually working. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Like absolutely. Motivation, instant motivation is 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 your engagement. Mm. Not not a bells and whistles. Not someone turning up in class yeah. to t- teach hypotenuse and they're in a toga. Not someone like doing experiment or blowing yeah, something out. Yeah. yeah. It's actually yeah. internal, little bit of success. Yeah, I'll have a go tomorrow. And, and, and what we know about success um, is it's great for student wellbeing. So mm-hmm. when we talk about wellbeing, so do you need a do you need a program to teach wellbeing or do you just need student academic success? And because that's what we've seen at Mastery Schools Australia is that student wellbeing is absolutely flourishing. You can mm. see it because of student attendance is is significantly turning around. You can see because students are making friends for the t- first time, they're they're giving more things a go, and then they're academic, they're improving, absolutely flourishing academically, and then that makes them flourish um, with their own with their well being and their sense of self and their self esteem. So it definitely goes yeah. hand in hand. That that sense of agency. That you're giving the students the the ability uh, to do what they want to do, which is learn. Like everyone wants to, wants yeah. to learn, and and for those students that attend uh, your schools, I'm I'm sure that they feel you know disenfranchised, left out. Um, and so to give them that that agency, that power, um, must be an amazing thing to behold. It yeah. really is. And so, what mm. do, talk talk to us about the um, what the impact has been, what the growth is, because we we do a lot of data tracking. There's there is that feedback. Um, moment to moment in the classroom because of the science of learning uh, strategies that we are using in our classroom every second of the day. So there is constant feedback going out back to the student and to the teacher about progress. And so we know we can, we've got hand on heart data about the growth that students have made. So talk to, to us about that, Tony. Yeah, I mean, everything we do is data driven. Um, we don't we do not do any program unless it's data driven and our data driven is, is high points we're not waiting to the end of term to get data 
you know, every five lessons in mathematics, every um, in, in spelling and in reading, every 10 lessons in mathematics, we actually need to use that data. Um, the students actually see their own data. So they actually have some input into that tracking. What you were saying about agency, I love what you said, Will, because often agency is misconstrued in education is that a student needs to choose their own adventure in their learning goal or they need to choose what they're learning. And that's not student agency. Student agency is what you said, having control, saying, hey, I succeeded in this, so I'm going to have some effort tomorrow and put more effort because I actually got success. So it's that reward thing, um, an internal reward. So I do love that you said that because I often have people say, oh, your students have no agency because you are directing their teaching, you know, from bell to bell, which we do. But it's the success that they're getting that drives them. Yeah, and you've got the evidence to back it up. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and like, so, like it's, not, it's not bells and whistles. You're not teaching, like you said, uh, Pythagoras in a toga, you know. Yeah, no. So, Success is the fun we offer. Absolutely. So then bigger data, mm. like we actually track our bigger data because we, as any school, have to reflect on what we're doing. And if we don't, we're not being true to education or true to our kids. So we're trying to track mm. our overall data. So at the moment we are, you know, there's been different data sets, but we've, I think on average between all the schools at the end of last year were at least two years reading growth for every student in one year. So the average was two years. With our mathematics, it wasn't as much. Um, I'm definitely going to change that because I'm a math person. But we were averaging, I think it was 1.4 years growth for 12 months of teaching of mathematics. Now, the average school, I wow. guarantee you, can't even say that they're making the one year's growth. Yeah, for some for every kids, student, hand on heart. Yeah, hand on heart. Yeah. So that's our students. And these are students who are disengaged, have been behind. They're mm -hmm. two, three, four, five years behind already. Now, I have to gain. I've got to push for those gains because if I'm only going to get one year's growth with my students, I'm still not going to get them where I need them to be so that they're actually can be part of community and then go on to further education beyond year 10. So I am pushing towards mm -hmm. a two-year growth every year. Wow. And it's and it's achievable with using we, we maximize every second of the day. Well, we're trying to, and we're going to get when we're getting better and better of maximizing every every second, every minute of the day, so that we're getting you know if we can get two minutes of learning out of every one minute, then um, then we're going to be able to achieve that. So talk to us about so this podcast is all about celebrating teaching. It's about encouraging people to choose teaching and. One of the things I'm very proud of is how we employ assistant teachers at our school and build their capacity to understand science and learning strategies and uh, and then be able to send them out into the world. So do you want to talk a bit about the staffing model at Mastery Schools and what professional development we are able to do with those assistant teachers? Yeah, absolutely. So we basically, if you think of it, we have like an apprenticeship model. So all our, we don't have teacher aides, we don't employ teacher aides, all our, our teacher aides per se are assistant teachers. So all of them must be in university doing teaching. They typically work four days because we want them to have the day off a week to invest in the university. So they're, they're with us, but while they're with us, they're actually taking small groups. They're our intervention teachers. They take a small group of students, might be four students, might be three students. And they're doing the intervention programs. Those programs are often scripted. So it's teaching the teachers how to teach reading, how to teach spelling, how to teach mathematics. So it supports those guys. But underpin that, we do a lot of science of learning, um, professional development along the way. So we spend a week, you know, that the, o, the you know, o week we're doing professional learning that they all have to be involved with. It's not just our teachers. 
Um, recently, the Science of Teaching and Learning Australia, which had a conference in Sydney, we selected a group of assistant teachers and we sent them there to go and have professional learning. I don't know many um, education systems actually send their trainee teachers to go and do professional learning like we do. I mean, we send our teachers as well, but we want to send these assistant teachers. One, we want them to see that it's not just the world according to Michael and Tony, um, but that we they need to see that this science of learning, um, understanding and knowing how students learn is really important. It makes them a better teacher. We have, I think, last count Michael and I looked at, we had over 170 assistant teachers working for us at this moment. Now, what that means yes. is we, we're we not going to be able to employ all of them. For us, they are a direct fee to us. We're going to give them permission to teach positions if they come up when we can't get teachers. We're going to give them teacher positions as we you know um, begin to increase our enrolments and, and have new schools. So absolutely, they feed into us because they're well-trained. They've been with us. They've had all the training. Yeah, so hand on heart, we're not going to be able to employ all of those guys that work for us now. But they have so much training. Um, they get training with us. They get training in the programs. We're doing science of learning training all the time. We will send them away if we can to get extra training. But they are also going to leave us and go and work for other schools and other systems. And they're going to be the lead of science and learning in their school. So they're actually going to take a lot with them. And, and I've, you know, I think, great, I've sent out a whole heap of teachers who are better informed than what they got from their ITE, from their initial training education. Um, and they're going to add value add to the schools that they turn up at. Absolutely. That's and, and all of our teachers who go on, we obviously are supporting them as they're going on their practical experiences. Uh, so obviously we, that's our, it's our staffing model. So we know that they're heading off to PRAC and the feedback when they're away on PRAC is, is they're thriving, absolutely thriving on PRAC because they are, they're used to working with students. They're used to teaching students. They're used to motivating students. They're used to connecting with students. And they, they have this underpinning pinning knowledge of science of learning practices that they're taking into their classrooms as, as pre-service teachers, which is just so Amazing. exciting, so great for their confidence. They're getting so much feedback so early in their career and it's, it's making such a, a very exciting impact on their, mm -hmm. on their lives. I want to Amazing. just ask you, Tony, a bit about COGLEARN. Mm -hmm. So uh, what is COGLEARN? And uh, where, what is what is Coglearn's impact? So I guess Coglearn is it's a consultancy company that uh, Michael and I um, run um, across Australia, and our our just a second because they didn't have enough to do. Yes, yeah. so so they only 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 have just yeah. only have just founded a system of schools. So Coglearn's just this other thing that they do as well, yeah. which is doing this little job of go for it, Tony. Yeah. So what we do is we bridge the gap between science of learning and classroom practice, and I think that is the difference that we have. That both Michael and I have come from education. We're teachers at heart. Michael's a principal. I've been teaching for a long time. I still will teach in the classroom, and yes, we do know we both have honours degree in psychology. We, um, my major is in cognitive science and I'm, I'm a cognitive load researcher, but, but it's, it's not enough for teachers to know the theory. They actually need to know what does that look like in my classroom? What does the practice look like? So um, our impact across Australia is working with school systems and schools who are interested in the science of learning. And there is a definite movement and the movement's really been escalating in the last two years. Um, so 
Um, we currently, so if anyone's heard of the Catalyst Project in Catholic education in Canberra, so that's 56 schools across the Canberra and Goulburn diocese, um, we're involved as one of their main suppliers of teaching teachers and schools around the science of learning. Um, we have a number of coaches that work for us who help us with that. So we have, um, I think, 31 schools just Coglan. Um, the other providers are Dr. Lorraine Hammond, who we actually have a great working relationship with, um, and her team um, and supporting schools. We've just um, branched out a little bit further. So um, as of this year, we'll be working with 21 schools in the Tasmanian Catholic Diocese um, and adding them to our coaching that we do. Um, and, and then also we have pockets of other schools across Sydney. I've got a little school in Darwin I still work with. I work with a couple of little schools mm -hmm. in Western Australia. And, yeah, definitely um, some, some Queensland schools too. Um, but that is about, again, it's science of learning, but what, is it, what do we need to do as a teacher to um, mitigate cognitive load <clears throat> and how to be the best teacher you can be understanding this new science of learning that we should have really known about 20 years ago. Mm. Very, yeah, very exciting. I agree. I think there needs to be far more uh, emphasis on research into this, and I'm glad that there is you know, some bearing fruit now, but um, we're a bit behind the eight ball, I think. Um, it, it says here in your bio, uh, and you mentioned uh, managing cognitive load. Uh, can you tell me a bit more about how to use verbal rehearsal in managing cognitive load? Yeah, so part of my research was looking at one of the things we need to do as teachers is mitigate cognitive load. And what I mean with cognitive load, we mean how can we manage a student's um, working memory, That knowing that working memory is limited. If we learn anything, it needs to be in our long-term memory. But when we're learning something new, we can only manage a couple of things in our working memory. And to assist kids to manage new information in the working memory, we can manage the cognitive load for them. And we can do that lots of varying ways. We can give them worked examples. And it's that clear, concise language. It's the way we set up a lesson. But one of the things we actually can do is get students to actually verbally say things out loud as a memory tool, um, a mnemonic tool, but also to actually use the vocab, the academic vocab that you would expect them to do. Typically, a lot of teachers assume that kids can say the words that they're learning, that they actually can, one, pronounce the word that they're learning or understand the words that um, teachers are using when they're explaining things and often they can't. So what we want students to do is actually verbalise those words mm -hmm. that every time they say a word out loud, the schema of what they're trying to learn strengthens and the verbal rehearsal, so constant verbal rehearsal of that key critical language is really important to the learning and it can manage the load. So students actually in the research that I did show that they actually felt they perceived the learning as less difficult when they actually verbally rehearsed some key definitions, when they told a partner the key definition, when they verbally rehearsed the vocab and could explain what the vocab meant in their own words, but actually out loud, not just assuming that when that passive kid's looking at you, that they understand what you're talking about. Mm. So something like the traditional think, pair, share, would that work? Yeah, that? yeah, definitely would. You need you need kids to be accountable. So kids have to do the thinking first. All kids must be doing that thinking first before they do a pair mm. share. So they've got to think first. They might mm. write a note on a whiteboard. They might have an answer. If you ever do a pair share, though, you must allocate partners. You cannot say partners discuss this. Elbow partners talk about this because you are going to get what we yep. call in psychology the social loafers. You're going to get the person who always does the talking and the other person does nothing. So all the loud kids, all the ones who are confident, 
yeah the, the sharons of the world we don't need the sharons leading us we we have to occasionally have have our others give a voice so we always must label our partners Baron. yeah so you've got to say hey you know even if it's a b or cookies and cream or shark bait whatever it is that you're doing in your partners you want to actually set a specific goal or question that a's are going to discuss with b's you then were going to say, B's, look, can you explain or justify mm. why you think that might not be the case or whatever? You know, you can have those high road questions, but you actually need to set um, questions for A's or B's. If they just do a typical partner talk, you're not necessarily going to get them to be doing academic language and, and talking out the actual process. There's going to be a lot of nodding and agreeance. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But no one really said anything. Yes. Or yes. the loud the loud person has said something, yeah, and the loud, the loud person. person loves to hear their own voice. Yeah, go on the yeah. shares. Yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah you're right. So, and uh, yeah, in my school, one of one of our classes has labelled them cupcake and sprinkles. So, cupcake, whisper to you to sprinkles now, um, what you would do, you know, what your answer would be now. Sprinkles, whisper to your partner now this part. So then they both had to verbalise, and then they're able. So they both had to had the time to do their thinking first. And then they've had the time to do the to actually verbalize their thinking to each other. And just to um, add on that verbal rehearsal, every time you verbally rehearse something, you say something. It's a it's a repeated rehearsal. It's a repetition. It's a retrieval. And we know from cognitive science that retrieval is actually learning. It's not just about saying an answer. Every time you retrieve it, um, have a bit of space learning thrown in there, and you get effortful retrieval. And when you have effort retrieval, the schema actually strengthens and so they've got better understanding. So every time they have to do that, it's a retrieval practice. Mm. So the idea is it's, it's not what you jam into the brain that's learning, it's what you can pull out that's Absolutely. actually learning and rehearsing it's not about, and pulling it out. Yeah, it's not about input, it's about output. And I think that's where we have probably exactly. got it yeah. wrong for a little while. Yeah. Mm. I love that. It's very exciting stuff and... Um, it's totally my jam. So I could talk about this all day and all night and the next day as, um, as the, the teachers at uh, the Springfield campus know. Um, all right. So we're going to pause there because I feel like we're going to come back um, later in the year and talk with Tony again. Absolutely. And I want to see if Tony is willing to um, – dumb it down a little bit with us and um <laughs> and and maybe be willing to play the alphabet a game against um mr white so how do you feel about that about uh tony are you willing to do that um absolutely not but i've been told i have to so absolutely yes that's right <laughs> yes wonderful there was only one right answer there. <laughs> so let's play the alphabet game uh, okay play alphabet game uh, yes, so that's oh, little Monty. That's that Whitey's Whitey's uh, three year old saying, yes. "Let's play the alphabet game." He says it um, very well. Beautiful. All right. The way this works, Tony, is that I'm going to give you something to name, and then I'm going to give you a letter that you need to name that uh, particular thing, and then you just shout out your answer, and I decide which one is. Uh, the best answer or the fastest <laughs> answer. Basically, I'm the boss of this game. Yeah, it's a problem. It's, I've, I'm comfortable with the rules. All right. <laughs> as long as you're comfortable. Absolutely. Are we ready? All right. <laughs> I would like you to name something found in a pencil case starting with R. Rubber. Rubber. Ooh. Rubber. Oh, I got that just... 
Did she? I don't feel like that was just. I think that was a very clear. Uh, um, yes. I thought it. I thought of it as soon as you said it, Tony. Well <laughs> done. All right. So it is a best of best of three, Tony. Best of three. Um, so this one could be for the win. All right. Let me, let me win it. All right. We'll see. <laughs> I, I, my, my, my money is very much on Tony for this one. All oh, right. Are we ready? On. Name yes. something that you shouldn't use in a play, starting with H. Hammer. Yeah. Hot water. Yeah, I reckon you probably shouldn't use a hammer in a play. What would you have said, Tony, if you had to say one thing that you shouldn't use in a school play? I said hot water, but. What would you you say? Hovercraft. (laughs) Hot water. Hot water's good. Hot water. Hot water. You're right. Hot water. I I personally would have gone with horse there, actually, Tony. Oh, no. I would have gone with horse. You shouldn't use in a school Uh. play. No, have no, you gone no. through and answered all these shares? You've, you've no, got all these no, questions there and you've got the ultimate answers, have you? You certainly don't want to use a horse, but it has been done and um, and, and it's okay. We do come out the other end. Has it? Really? Mm. Yes. Right. Well, oh, and, really? and you, you can use a horse apparently in a school play and actually end up having a flourishing career at the end of that, <laughs> even if the horse doesn't... Um, doesn't behave, doesn't behave quite as as you want. Um, I'm, I'm testimony. There is a story that there. I, um, <laughs> I haven't been sacked from that. Yes, exactly. Ah. And I feel like there could be a teaching tale coming at, uh, in some future episodes about oh, fantastic. about that. But you're right, actually, Whitey. Um, you should not uh, use a hammer probably in a school play. So I'm going to give that one to you. So it is one all. Very fair. And yes. we are going to a tiebreaker. Ooh. And um, name, are we ready? Name a school ready. starting with M. MSA. Master. <laughs> 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 really? There was a hesitation. I can't believe how long that took you, Tony. No, I think it's because you have so many other things. I think, I, I think it's because of this, these, these internet conditions I'm under in this hotel room. So, oh, <laughs> wonderful. I see. Okay. I see. You're right. So MSA would be right. So um, so we're definitely saying that that's definitely a win, a win for our interviewees. Nice work, Tony. Thank you very much. All right. Before we finish up tonight, um, our I want to just let our listeners know what our socials are. We have seen a big increase just recently in our uh, people who have started following us on Facebook. So our Facebook. Um, site is Teachers Change Lives Podcast on Instagram. It's also Teachers Change Lives Podcast. On TikTok, it is also Teachers Change. It's actually TCL un- pod underscore shaz. Thank you very much. Because yes. um, I, I, Tony, I just, I, I wanted that one to be all about me. Apparently, I wanted to leave Whitey out of that what do you, one. What do you mean that one? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, Tony, where can we uh, – is there any any socials or any websites that you can direct our listeners to if they're interested in science of learning, if they're interested in Mastery Schools Australia or if they're interested in you? Um, yeah, look, Mastery Schools Australia has a website. You're definitely welcome to get on there and they have a Facebook as well. Personally, I do have LinkedIn. I'm just not very prolific. I feel like I do too much actual real work to spend my time on my LinkedIn. Um, 
not fair, but I really mm. need to get into that self-promotion much better and actually show people what we're doing and it, mm. because we might be doing something close to you that you might actually be able to stick your head in and have a look. So you can follow me on LinkedIn. Beautiful. Uh, fabulous. And what about Coglan? If anybody, if there's any schools out there that are interested <laughs> yeah. in working with Coglan or systems of schools, um, how would they find you for Coglan? Yes, we do have a really crappy website of Coglan that needs an overhaul, but you definitely are welcome to do that. Um, but really Coglan. You do need work with self-promotion. Uh, I need work. <laughs> um, I, I just have not, it's, it's a bit of a burner. We, we, our Coglan really does come from word of mouth and from systems and from schools and yeah. from our networks but it definitely means it's, it means it's working if you want if you want to contact me at Coglan, honestly it's just tony.coglan at gmail.com and i will you will find me so easy enough good great fabulous um i just want to finish off with saying thank you so much to tony uh as i said this is our international women's day episode i uh i i i'm forever inspired by Tony's work and uh, if there's ever been somebody who's literally put their money where their mouth is uh, it is it's it's Tony and uh, mm. Michael and the lives that are, ch- are being changed as a result of that in these young people's lives and the family lives it is utterly profound and um, thank you so much Tony for your contribution to Um, education in Australia it is absolutely profound and I know the plans for the future are enormous so thank you thank you thank you you are absolutely welcome and thank you so much for having me on your show and I'm in awe of what the stuff that you guys are doing and promoting teachers um, because it is teachers that change lives thank you Tony it is indeed thank you also for your time I know that you've got a fair bit going on Uh, thank you very much it's been great to have a chat and we've got to get you back because I think we've barely scratched the skirt the surface absolutely I think that there's going to be lots of data coming out of Catalyst um, and the the system of Canberra schools um, later in the year isn't there yeah, absolutely. Um, and just for another, I guess, promotion is the SOTLA, so S-O-L-T-A, Science of Learning and Teaching Australia, is an organisation that's been developed by my husband, Michael Roberts, and Dr. Lorraine Hammond. It is free to be a member. If you Google that, you get lots of information about science of learning and the open conferences. They keep their conferences really cheap. Um, all the speakers there, we do it for free. So we had Daisy Christodoulou come over from the UK and speak. They do it for free. It's a little bit like Research Ed, but it's really supporting and promoting science of learning across Australia. So we've just had our Sydney conference. Um, we will be heading to Melbourne soon, and then they'll be heading up to Brisbane, but it will be a, a yearly, each term going to a different state. Awesome. There you go. It's coming coming your way, Whitey. Um, right. So get on board. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you so much, Tony. I want to say a big thank you to uh, Video Pro again for hooking us up with some audiovisual equipment and lighting. Um, this is here. This is our Tony Hatton in all her glory. <laughs> I'm sorry to our listeners that we couldn't let you see her in all of her glory tonight, <laughs> but we'll definitely have her back again at some stage um, in the future. Yes. All right. Thank you, Mr. White. Always thank good you, to Shaz. catch up. A mid oh. a midweek catch up. Um, absolutely. Right. Keep up the great work to all of those teachers out there. 
and uh, hang in there. You're doing a great job and please uh, connect with us and connect yes. with your fellow teachers in your classrooms. Absolutely. You're changing the world. You're changing lives. Keep at it. Beautiful. All right. Till next week. See you later. Thank you. See you, Tony. See you, Bye. Tony. Thank you.